Hello and welcome to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line, brought to you this week by Hugo Monia, get it, and myself, Vernon Kerr. We always provide you with exclusive chats from inside the England camp on this very, very special podcast. But I think we may have outdone ourselves this week. This episode really does shine a light on a member of the England team you might not know too much about. My basketball coach started noticing me getting scratches and sort of wondering where all these scratches and bruises were coming from. So then I had to, you know, to be honest about that, yeah. that I'm actually, rugby's becoming my focus. This week, our very special guest is England defence coach, John Mitchell. You've got to reflect on it, no, no doubt about that, but you can dwell on it. You can seek all the explanations in, in the world, but, you know, I don't know what, it's, what it is, but if I end up on the canvas, I'll, I'll find a way to get up. And that's just, just the way I am. As well as a fascinating chat with John, we put Red Rose's winger Jess Breach's speed to the test in a round of quick-fire questions. And then maybe like the Queen or something. Oh. Yeah. Why is the Queen over for a bit of like banter, a bit of fun, jokes? Yeah, like I think she would actually be really good. I think Usain Bolt would, you know, she would have a bit of banter with him. So let's crack on, shall we? First up, here's part one of when Ugo met the man in charge of England's defence. John. Is it okay to call you John? Everyone calls you Mitch here. Is you Mitch, John, yeah. John Mitchell, sir? It's actually amazing. My brother in law's called John, so somehow my wife has um, allowed everyone else to call me Mitch. So when, when I'm called John now, I sort of. But uh, no, you can call me whatever, mate. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to go with Mitch if that's all right yeah, with you. No. Um, it's really good to sit down with you because, you know, you've been in charge now for a little while, but I don't think anyone's really had an opportunity to, to get to know you, and hopefully this will serve that purpose, if you like. Um, you were born in New Zealand, obviously, North yeah. Island. Hawera? It's spot on, mate. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what was life like growing up in uh, the North Island? Yeah, um, we lived uh, next to a... All I can remember is living in a house next to the intermediate school, which there was heaps of grass. Uh, there was my brother and I. He went through a strong phase of epilepsy, so I remember those days. And then Dad was... Uh, he used to buy wool off the farmers, and traditionally, the area we lived was very much um, you know, cows and milk. So he used to go off to the king country um, a couple of hours away and, and go and go to the sheep farms and buy wool and sell to the wholesale the wholesalers. So then Paul and I had the opportunity of just jumping in the truck with Dad and getting a bit of, you know, we got town experience plus farming experience. So I could always remember the farmers, uh, when they offered you lunch, you always never said no because their lunches were, were so good, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I bet. So were you always quite an outdoorsy person then, I guess? Um, you know, I was really fortunate, being the oldest, um, that mum um, was a really good sportswoman. She played indoor basketball, uh, represented uh, the North Island at that time. Oh, wow. um, and she was also a marching coach. In a marcher, so marching girls was a, a big part of our life. You know, we were you know, getting looked after, so we had many babysitters. Um, and then Dad also played basketball, so Paul and I were dragged along to tournaments. Um, couldn't wait for a timeout to be played so that you could get the ball into the hoop. Yeah. You know, the first goal in life was really to try and get the ball in that square and get it into the hoop, get kicked off by the referees, and then our parents would obviously socialise with others afterwards. And then we get whistled up uh, to jump in the car, and can't remember whether we got a bath or whatever. But we were pretty tired by the time we got home. But it was a, it was a cool way of life. We had a ball in our hand every day. That's amazing. Yeah. And what was it like for you watching your mum and your dad um, playing basketball as a spectator? You must have been so proud. You must have absolutely loved those moments. In those days, like you know, clearly um, tournaments were all around the country, yeah. and then they had nationals. They weren't so much provincial nationals; they were more club nationals. And then used to see the best playing against the best. So 
So not only did you get to see uh, your, your, your parents and how much they put into it, it was like um, seeing you know, outstanding and extraordinary basketballs at that time going, geez, you know, they're, they're pretty good and you just wanted to be, to be like them. And so did you ever have a double at basketball yourself? Was it ever a route that you wanted to go down? Actually, I was um, very fortunate. Um, it was very, very much my main sport. I had to make a choice between that and rugby, um, and how that worked was kind of like I got towards, uh, I got into my last year of school. Um, I'd played it in my first year of high school, and then I wasn't allowed to play it uh, for exam years, basically. I had to make a choice between basketball and rugby, so I played basketball, and then all my mates in, um, in, a, in equipment to your A-levels go, uh, why don't you come play rugby, Mitch? Yeah, and I go, okay, well, I'll give it a go. And um, as it turned out, um, loved every minute of it. And then when it came to the school basketball nationals, the, the, school, the school gave me dispensation to play both. So I had the best year. I can't say my school <laughs> results were great, but um, I, had the, I had the best year. And then I ended up playing with men as well in, uh, in the nationals in basketball. And then was really, really fortunate to, to go on and play for New Zealand juniors against Australia. And, um, and I kind of started to think that maybe this could be a, could be a future and um, I had the opportunity to go to, to a Canadian college called Simon Fraser and mum and dad convinced me to turn it down because I, I, I stayed and did my university qualification in, uh, in New Zealand and then the rugby thing, but yeah. That must have been really tough to be able to take at that point where you have an opportunity to perhaps go overseas. You'd always wanted to do basketball, um, but I guess essentially your parents were looking after you, trying to give you a good foundation, good education and make you stay behind, but it's all kind of worked out pretty well, hasn't it? Yeah, to be where where I am now and what I've, what I've experienced, it's kind of like, um, you know, why did the rugby thing bite? I was that typical, impatient 18, 19-year-old where I went to, to senior men's league, was getting less minutes, uh, I wanted to win games of basketball. I couldn't do that off the off the bench uh, in my mind. And then um, I played rugby because I enjoyed the camaraderie, enjoyed the social aspect from it. It just seemed to be quite a different way of way of life as, yeah. a, as a sportsman at the time. And and then my, I think my basketball coach started noticing me getting scratches and sort of wondering where all these scratches and bruises were coming from. So then I had to, you know, to be honest about that, I was, yeah. that I'm actually rugby's becoming my focus. So I hopped on my flatmate scooter one day uh, in Hamilton when I was doing my quantity surveying study and went along there and signed a membership form and played for the senior bees one weekend and then ended up in the senior team the following weekend as a as a 20 year old and and I sort of entered a you know grown men of 32 33 who ended up becoming my my mentors and and that's that's how it started it's interesting because I think whenever people talk about certain behaviors in sportsmen and women they talk about the desire to win the competitive nature and it's not something you can ever teach it's something which you have and I guess because you're always exposed to watching your mum and dad compete at the highest level and compete within tournaments of other elite athletes you've forever been shown and been exposed to that do you think that's what's been the foundation of your culture and coaching techniques right now that's an interesting question because um mum was you know was a, obviously a marcher and then became a, a coach and a new zealand champion coach so oh, wow. for me it was like um i probably never wanted to be a coach i was captain for a long time of a provincial team strong personalities and then really educated personalities um, I was probably the mediator amongst them, and then after after that career finished, I thought I just sort of went into my quantity surveying, thinking, well, 
I'm just not sure whether I want to be a coach. And then I was convinced to co-coach with a mate, and we we won a Waikato Championship to, together in our first year, and that's sort of where the 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 bug bit. I think coaching for me at that point was, you know, I can't play the game like I used to, but I can teach skills and yeah. I can help people get fit to play the game. But I didn't really foresee what was going to come in terms of the way the game's played now, and have made a huge amount of mistakes uh, along the way. But have have learned so much more about myself and evolved to to be able to coach with uh, different individuals, you know, since that time. So if I go back to the start, now it wasn't really something that was a that was a real ambition. It's nuts because it feels as if you've like stumbled into a few different career paths and they've all seemed to work out really well. How has that happened to you, whether it be from basketball into rugby and then rugby into coaching when you never really wanted to, but you're sat here with a red rose on your chest looking forward to a brilliant autumn? I always wanted to be a physical education teacher and okay. um, I was tracking really well until... You smashed that. Uh, until we... Uh, <laughs> yeah, until we... Um, I tried to play two sports yeah, mm-hmm. once and my marks dropped a little bit. So I got entry through through sport, but I, my biology mark needed to to, to sharpen up and I, I don't know what happened. I, I just didn't fully get the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom very, very right. So uh, that cost me for Z school, but I've, I've kind of gone around it the, in, a, in another way. And I'm very grateful to, you know, you look at today and you coach in a day like this, uh, you coach young men. Who want to play in a you know in the major tournament in the world? Test rugby, is, as you know, is a is a great experience, and you know once you're there, you want to sustain it. So you know all, all that stuff, um, you know, still turns my head, um, still gets me up in the morning, still drives me, and to be back in it again, well, and having been t- uh, out of it as well, you also tend to to realise how important it is. Yeah, totally. Well, if we've got time after this, we can talk through osmosis and chlorophyll <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see. Yeah. Every day's a learning day. Um, let's let's just double on your playing career for a little bit because you made your amateur senior day before Waikato in 1985. Do you remember that first game, that first encounter? Uh, I had a bit of hair left. Um, I do know that. Mullet? <laughs> now it was... Um, it was really, really black and, and a bit curly, so you you, you wouldn't probably realise that, but uh, it was on its way, I think. Um, <laughs> I'm Googling yeah, it. Yeah, it was, yeah no, you, you, um, actually, I was, somebody sent some Facebook photos the other day of the club team and the Waikato under, 20, under 20s, and uh, it's amazing how life, even Warren Gatlin was sitting at the front with his knees crossed like a, like a mascot. So, oh, wow. Uh, um, I do remember it. Uh, I marked uh, Wayne Shelford. Okay. Um, the All Black number eight. That's right. Yeah. And his brother Buck is that yeah, right? Yeah, no, Buck. It was actually it was it was Buck. Oh, sorry, Buck is yeah, way. Yeah. And um, he cut me in half. Did he? Oh, he drilled me. I came off the back. I was probably ringing wet in those days, about a hundred kilograms. And um, now he was a beast. Yeah, he was phenomenally fit at that time in the amateur days. And uh, now he just cut me in half. And so that realization was like going. Yeah, it's quite a quite a quite a level. Um, okay. But you just want more. Okay. Yeah, like um, you just want more, and that, and that's that's all I could kind of re- kind of remember was that, and maybe, um, I was very un- I was very unconscious in a lot of my skill as a as a as a basketballer, but there were some aspects of rugby for me that were still very conscious. Okay. I wasn't strong and big. Um, I had obviously ball skills and stuff, but the physicality sort of things in some of the areas of the game, like the you know, the breakdown and. And that there were there were areas that I had to yeah that were, that was unusual to me. I think there'll be lots of people listening to yeah. this thinking, hearing from 
Mitch that he wasn't quite good enough at the start and being cut in his first game, but yet still had the motivation, desire to want more, to get better, to get to to get to achieve all the things you did. What was it with inside yourself? What advice could you pass on to those people facing similar challenges? Um, yeah, there's a. I mean, you do get a lot of kicks in the guts. You know, like it, yeah. it's just the way it is, and uh, <laughs> you've got to reflect on it. No, no doubt about that. But you can dwell on it. Yeah. You know, you can you can seek all the explanations in in the world, but you know, I don't know what it's what it is. But if if I end up on the canvas, I'll, I'll find a way to get up, and that's just just the way I am. I think um, I like responsibility. I like to achieve, and and that's not just just winning. I like to when I put my head down on the pillow at night time. I like to know that I've done those things that okay. I set out to set out to do. And I like to think think my way through things, you know, like um, because I know myself so much better now and trust myself, you know, that that gives me the confidence to be able to go, well, if I can do that, then, then you know, people are going to trust myself as, in, in terms of relationships as well. So I think, yeah, the most important message I can send to people is the quicker you can get to know what who you are um, is one of the best things in the world. Hi, this is Jonathan Joseph, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Subscribe on iTunes or at englandrugby.com. We'll be back with Mitch and Ugo shortly, but first, Paul Bunker caught up with one of the protagonists of the Red Roses' Grand Slam success earlier this year. It's time for Jess Breach to feel the heat of our quickfire questions. Quickfire questions, Jess. Ten questions. Give us some nice, solid answers. Here we go. Three, two, one. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt? A doctor. Why? My mum's a nurse and I always like to hear her stories, so I wouldn't mind being involved in some of the stories. Nice. If you could hear only one music track ever again for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? I don't know. Um, do you know any? Do you name Yeah, one? No, um, the only song that's in my head right now is... Um, like she's so like she's she's so lovely by like um Scouting for Girls. I don't know that's that's not what it's called, is it? Scouting for Girls. She's so lovely. That yeah, one. Yeah. That's a really old song. Why have you got that going on here? I actually went to, to um a Scouting for Girls concert. <laughs> <laughs> you kept that and you got under the hat, didn't you, as well? Okay. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? And is there anyone else in the squad who's guilty of doing it? Is there something that cheeses you off? What is there something that someone does and you're like, she's biting her nails, she's kicking the table, she's got a tappy foot. Yeah, a t- I, uh, like tappy foot does annoy me. Like my brother does it all the time and actually Hannah Bosterman does it very often if I sit next to her. But untidiness, mm. yeah, it just really riles me. Just yeah. put your stuff away. It's not hard, is it? No, just, you've got it out, so put it away. Get it. Uh, who would play you in a movie? Um... I don't know any actresses. <laughs> just, just um, you don't know any actresses like one um, sort of kind of. Um, the girl who plays in the Hunger Games, wasn't it? Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, there we go. Uh, what would be your spirit animal? I'd like to be that. Um, it's not a cat, but it's the wild cat. So it's not like quite a tiger or a lion. It's like like the, a lynx or something like that, yeah. or a jaguar, a puma, or something like that. No, not, no, not no. not that big. No. no, okay. I'm glad you've got that sorted. Right, if you could have <laughs> any three people dead or alive over for dinner, who would it be and why? Um, Usain Bolt, because um, obviously he's the quickest man in the world. Get some tips off him. Yeah. Serena Williams, because I think she's an absolute legend. And then maybe like the Queen or something. Oh, yeah. Queen, what, what, why is the Queen over for a bit of like banter, a bit of fun, jokes? Yeah, right I think she would actually be really good. I think Usain Bolt would, you know, she would have a bit of banter with him. Okay, there we go, the Queen and Usain Bolt. There's a thought. What always cheers you up? What makes you smile? 
if someone else smiles at me, I know that's like cliche, but if someone smiles at me, automatically smile and you put, get in a better mood, don't you? There we go. Uh, which famous person would have you completely starstruck? If you ever met someone in real life and you think, oh my goodness, if I met them, it would be all David over. Beckham. Beckham. Mm. Really? Yeah. He's like an old man. No, I know, but like, I just, he is actually quite sexy. You can whisper, but we'll bounce up that audio as well. <laughs> so Tell us a random fact about Jess Breach that nobody knows. Probably the girls in the programme know this, but I used to live in Singapore. I like that. And what advice would you give to a 12-year-old Jessica Breach? Just to keep going and to just enjoy it. Enjoyment is key. Cheers, Jess. Bravo. Well done. Right, let's get back to Ugo's chat with England defence coach John Mitchell. You mentioned you like to achieve things. Well, one of your former teammates back in Waikato was a guy who's achieved a lot as well, when you've already mentioned Warren Gatland. What's he like as a teammate? Uh, and a roommate, actually, by the way. Yeah, we, together, we, yeah right? we flattered together. Um, we played for opposite clubs. What was that like? We used to sort of like toss a coin and go and stay at our girlfriend's place uh, the night uh, before the match because we just didn't feel right being in the same house, <laughs> playing against each other the next day. Yeah, um, so I think he won a few of those tosses as well because I, uh, I had to go. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, we roomed together. We started together. I think I got more games. I don't think he hardly played a game in his first year for Waikato. When he did uh, start playing, um, he was a good sportsman. You know, he's a good cricketer as well. He even played number eight in primary school for the provincial team. Oh, yeah. um, but very persuasive guy. Yeah, like he'd just give you a quiet word and say, look, I know you're doing a great job as a captain, but you know, look, look after your own game first. You know, you know, just little things like that. He's just, uh, he sees things and he just drops in now and again and then he, and he gets out of it. And he's just fun as well, you know, like uh, really enjoy him socially and stuff. So yeah, it's amazing the bond that you create with guys. And even though we don't see a lot of each other uh, now and haven't done in the last decade um, and probably a little bit longer, you know, whenever we stay in touch, it's, um, yeah, it's as if he was there yesterday. You know? Rugby has this weird romantic way of almost kind of coming full circle. And that may happen with you and Warren later on this year, going from being roommates, teammates to potentially in the opposition coaching box as well. Um, have you considered what that might be like at all? It's, it's, it's funny, like, um, if, I, if I go back to uh, my first time with England way back and, and going back to New Zealand um, and seeing the national, you know, like national anthem in New Zealand at the time with England, and then I'm you know, like asking mates, you know, should I coach England? Because, you know, like, and, and how much the game has become so cosmopolitan. Yep. And, and it's been going for so long now and probably back in those days we were somewhat what of a, a pioneer going to work for other countries. So when you see each other now, I think yeah, just, you just respect each other. You know, you've got a job to pl- uh, and a role to play, um, but you just respect each other for who you are, catch up on things, have a laugh. But, yeah, but there is a line and, and, you're, and, and, the, and there is a confidence line as well, you know, because you, there's certain things you can't, you can't share. Um, I'm sure it's, it's always on our minds to go, well, you know, what are you thinking about us? And <laughs> how are you going to attack us? And what are we going to do to you? Do you know that we're going to do this? You know, like, yeah, it's like, I'm sure there's that thinking going on. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just really good to see good, good mates doing well. Absolutely that. Um, in terms of your playing career, I mean, that really peaked in 1993 when the All Blacks came over and toured the UK and you represented them six times on that tour. I mean, for you, that must have been everything you ever wanted. 
Yeah, I um, I got a, a kick in the guts as a 20-year-old because I thought I'd make New Zealand under 20s. Okay. Because I went to the trial, and you know when you played well, and this NZRU official gets up on a lectern and says, those who make it on the um, stay, those who don't make it on the left, you're on the bus. So I got the left hand and ended up on the bus. Even Michael Jones was on that on that bus. That right? And two years later, he was a star of a World Cup. So I walked down the driveway, and Dad sensed my... Um, uh, my unhappiness, and he just kind of just said, "Look, uh, just remember, it's only one man's opinion." So that sort of stuck with me uh, for a while. So then, nine years later, I get an opportunity. I think I only got an opportunity because one had been consistent and reliable for for all that period. Um, was captain of a of a good team that eventually could compete, and then uh, became better than Auckland. And I think the the midweek side and uh, the previous year in Australia didn't succeed very well so I think they took me for their leadership and I loved every moment I kind of knew that I was a long shot for the 95 World Cup um, so all I could do was really just better myself and and get enjoyment out of it I mean the first two weeks I remember like I was like I was so nervous and then I thought geez I just need to be who I am yeah yeah um, we had such a tough coach in Laurie Mains I mean we used to do these retreats 120 of them and you know, f- um, all this running around golf courses and uh, yeah, golf all these courses. long distance intervals of 150s, like 31 before you do any any rugby. Okay. So yeah, it was like uh, it tested your resilience. But yeah, I, after games, I'd wear my all black blazer for the whole the whole night until I go to bed, just because I thought, well, it's going to be maybe my first and last, so I might as well enjoy every every moment of it. Not to think that you know that then again, coaching would. Um, become part of my life well you made that transition age 31 you got an opportunity with Ireland and you've had a phenomenal coaching career obviously still lots more to to achieve and to do the Blue Bulls uh, USA involved in that as well and then sorry you actually coached the All Blacks as well don't know how I can make that a mission just the (laughs) the All Blacks Um, and then Eddie picked up the phone and gave you a call Um, do you remember what that conversation was like yeah, um, we've always kept in touch, you know, like we were adversaries when he was Wallaby coach. Yeah. He was kind enough to put us out of the World Cup in 2003. <laughs> we were actually just talking about it the other day and he was laughing, I wasn't going to mention that, wasn't going to mention that, because <laughs> I remember George Smith doing a good job on us in the, in, in the middle ruck. Um, I always kept myself for, yeah, we probably should have done a bit more breakdown work uh, that week. Anyway, 16 um, years on. Yeah. Jeez, I tell you what, the, the first four years, I, I was, I, I basically was too hard on myself, you know. That's why I'm so respectful of this tournament, is that, you know, after losing a World Cup, never ever really expected my life to be so personally uh, vilified, I guess, publicly. Never, never ever thought that, it, that my life would ever be tipped up so, so intensely. And then because of an intercept, you know, I chose to, you know, somewhat doubt myself, I guess, and I, was, I became a very hard person, you know, um, and in 2007 with some mates in a minivan, went back to Lyon uh, Olympic University, a club that I played at. We had a great experience, um, but before that, we were in a restaurant in Nice, and the All Blacks lost to, to France. Yep. And also my phone buzzed, you know, emails... Uh, Texas, you know, p- people that were dormant, family and friends going, you know, it can happen to anyone. And, and at that point there, I thought, I've got my life around the wrong way. I'm, I'm getting relief out of uh, an experience that was worse than mine by another another coach. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- why am I thinking like this, and why are my family and friends thinking like this? So, you know, so from that day onwards, that was like a, a big turning point for me to say that, you know, I've got to I've got to change my perspective and and make sure that 
that that I win, lose, or draw, that I I, I don't change it changes the personality. Hi, I'm Tom Curry, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Got a huge amount of experience in this England coaching staff yourself. Obviously, Eddie, Steve, Neil Hatley, Wise Mantle, um, and you all seem to get along really well. Um, but you tell me, I mean, what's the cohesion like between all you coaches? What's the relationships like? Yeah, so what's so cool is that every, everyone's a different personality. Everyone comes from different reference points and beliefs. It's, it's about just sharing and working and uh, making sure that we're organised, always identifying a, a better way to, uh, to do things. It's important to also to identify what you what what is getting done significantly. You know, too often you can sometimes in these high performance environments pick holes and things that aren't right. But I think naturally, if you if you if you communicate more around the significant things that you're doing and look to get more out of them, then you'll you'll learn about the things that are probably not right anyway. So and. Yeah, just helping helping some of the younger coaches. You know, some of the younger coaches you know, have got great work ethics. They've got lots of energy, but sometimes I guess as a person that's done a bit of mileage, you can just say, "Look, have you thought about trying this and heading down down this track?" But, uh, but not forcing it on them, but just getting them to consider it. And if it lands, it lands. If it doesn't, you know, that's sweet as well. How would you describe yourself um, as a coach in three words? Yeah, I, I think I'm a very considering coach. I used to be very explicit and very strong, but I think these days, because I understand the personality better, uh, I work through the personality. Um, and as a result of that, then I become more considered. And as a result of that, I can provide advice. So I probably elicit more, and I'm probably more into implicit training, uh, getting the athletes to discover and solve. Uh, I like them solving. Um, so. Learning how to question better has been come a, been a huge challenge for me. I don't think I've re- I wasn't very good at English at school, so to to learn how to question better has become um, a really fascinating part of learning as a as a coach. Sounds like um, where you are, you seem very content with who you are as a person, as a coach, and all the different incidents and events which have happened into your life have almost kind of guided you to, to right now. Can, can I bring up another incident from 2010, which has perhaps shaped the way you are as a person now? Um, so in 2010, you were stabbed by intruders and they tied you up. I mean, awful, most tragic and harrowing of, of all incidents. Um, I'm not going to reflect on it itself, but what I'd like to ask you is how that helped kind of shape you as the person that you are now, the coach that you are now, coaching England. Yeah, I think I alluded before, you know, how I was so hard on myself after the 2003 World Cup, and then I had to prove to people that I, I could win. So I fell into that outcome bubble. Awful, awful, awful space of life, especially as a coach, and I think as a as an athlete, it's a, it's a, a terrible way to to drive your life um, and then I obviously um, uh, finished with the Western Force as an inaugural coach and got an opportunity to go to to Johannesburg to to help the Lions who were performing poorly at that point and couldn't get going again their culture was somewhat toxic and so that was a was a huge challenge and my family didn't come with as well so I was away and it was a balmy night and we'd just finished Curry Cup and just missed out on on the semis, I think, and um, uh, we went and met a new owner. It was about two in the morning, and I was just in bed, and then all of a sudden I thought it was my conditioning flatmate that was uh, playing a joke on me, you know, like, what are you doing, Tails? You know, like, you know, bugger off. You're like, yeah, stop playing this game. I'm trying to get some sleep, and then then I realised I was in, in, in trouble. Um, 
and then uh, got tied up with curtain cord wire. I sort of got hit uh, on entry because uh, I had this person on top of me, and then they uh, took everything off me and tied me up like in a tripod. And so I went through, I uh, went through flight, uh, I guess, and then then all of a sudden I thought, geez, I'm too young to 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 go now, you know. I got, I got it, and I, I said, please look after me. I've I've got young kids, you know, two children. You know, I want to see them again. You can just take whatever you want. And they, I think they took two mobile phones and some cash. I said, take me down to the ATM, you know. Um, and so it seemed like an eternity. Yeah, you know, I was blubbering for for ages, and then I got this fight. You know, this determination. My determination was more to go and see whether my flatmate was right. But he he buggered off down the downpipe like Spider Man to try and go and get some help because um, the guards were in on it as well. And so then all of a sudden I hear these voices, and um, not thinking it's the police and that, and um, and the guy these guys. Um, took off and then my knee got, uh, I, I had a, a, quite a bad wound in my thigh and then one in my arm, but one in my uh, leg was the one that we were worried about. And my best friend's uh, wife uh, turned up and she took me to the hospital because I wasn't, I was okay. I was just, it was kind of like, almost like having your, your, your mum with you. And, um, and then I just sort of think the 24 hours after that, we kind of didn't get much sleep and and I think really after that I was like, geez, I, there's a couple of things in my life that I've got to get sorted. So that was that, you know, that close in, in my view. Because um, people say, why didn't you have this? Why didn't you have a gun? Why didn't you have the taser? Why didn't you have a stick? Why didn't you have this? I mean, I was asleep. Oh, yeah, like, and I'm not sure I could do any of that anyway. So, um, and so I just thought, you know, I've got to sort my life out. There's a couple of things that are not right. And, um, I'm only here once. I've got to, got to sharpen up, and that's basically the the process I went through. And I made those decisions. And you know, you look back on it, it wasn't nice, but it was actually probably a, probably for a reason. It's um, I mean, I'm reflecting like listening to that ordeal that you went through, but to still have the ability to be able to kind of digest what you went through, and you don't sound angry at all. But you, you, your ability to be able to turn that situation into like a real positive seems to be something that you've been able to do right throughout your life, even in the worst of scenarios. Um, you must have this inner built resilience within you, which must enable you to do what you do so well right now. Do you think that's fair to say? I, I, I think it's helpful. Sorry, um, I'm like, honestly, yeah. I'm like, that was, <laughs> that was nice. Uh, I, I, think, I think it's helpful. It's um I think also living in South Africa for me in the last decade has taught me a lot more about humanity than I probably ever ever gave gave thought to. You know, like every day you every day you get up and go out, you're faced with humanity, and it's an emotional thing. Um, and 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 you and you make a choice on you know whether you feed, whether you give give some money to somebody that can that can further further their day um, those, those are the things that, 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 that you're faced with every, every day and I could have fled as a result of that um, uh, that intrusion but I thought I don't want to be a person that go, goes away and has to live off an, exa- an incident like that um, I'm better off to to counsel myself get myself sorted and what I want to do and uh, and live in it because it wasn't South Africans that you know that, that, that got me um, and so, yeah, that's the way I kind of looked at it. I'm, if there's one thing, I don't sleep as well as I used to. That's the only thing that um, 
I struggled to get to sleep uh, for a long time after that. I used to lock the door, used to leave the door open, used to sleep one side, uh, used to leave the curtains open, used to close the curtains. And the only thing that um, helped me get to uh, get solid sleep back again was thinking that the, the apartment or the house was surrounded by candles. So light, light was the thing that gave me uh, gave me safety. I was never a strong person in the dark anyway. Well, I remember as a kid when I used to have to run out with a milk bottle, I used to sprint as fast as I could to the letterbox, <laughs> put them down and come flying back in. So I think nothing, nothing's changed there. But um, yeah, if I hear a noise now, even in deep sleep, I, I'm, I'm, I'm well alert. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, uh, mate, thank you for being so open, for yeah, being so honest. No and uh, just wish you all the very best of luck for everything that's coming later on this year. Um, yeah, thank you once again. No, thank you. Cheers, mate. Good man. Oh, there you go, captivating that. Unbelievable. The real inside line on the man in charge of England's defence, John Mitchell. Join us again next week for another episode chock full of good stuff when one of the most exciting players in the England pack joins us on the pod. Now look, I know that everyone asks you whenever you listen to a podcast to rate us and subscribe, but we really do mean it. Please get involved. It helps your fellow rugby fans to find us, plus it makes us happy on the other side of the microphone. So everyone's a winner. And remember, there's loads going on at the moment, so make sure you stay across England rugby social pages to get the latest news. But for now, from me and the team, it's ta We'll see you later.